Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Lucy Holman. Lucy is the Associate Provost for Teaching, Learning, and Library Services and the Dean of the Library at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Lucy started her career in the UNC system, serving in residence hall leadership positions at UNC Charlotte and UNC Wilmington. She returned to UNC Wilmington in 2018 after serving for 20 years in library roles at the University of Baltimore, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and Harford Community College, most recently as the Dean of Library at UB. She is also a faculty member, holds a doctorate in communications design, and a master's in library science. Lucy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you on this podcast uh, for several reasons. First, it's great to catch up with someone uh, we worked uh, together many years ago at the University of Baltimore. And uh, you recently shared some really exciting things that you're doing at the UNC Wilmington campus, uh, specifically around library uh, technologies, library services. So I'm really, really interested in hearing more about that. And, and really, I'm excited for our listeners to be able to, to really uh, get a glimpse into the library side of the house, if you will. So um, we've heard so much about the impact of COVID on institutions and other service areas, but little about the implications for libraries. And so I'm really interested in, in how COVID impacted the library services on your campus and what were some of the lessons learned? Well, I think academic libraries were well positioned to adapt to COVID conditions in many ways. We were able to scale up existing services such as chat reference, uh, virtual consultations with students and faculty via Zoom or other video conferencing, um, and able to quickly launch remote reference services via video conferencing. Um, I also think many of us already had cap capability to produce video tutorials that could be plugged in to learning management systems for online learning. Many interlibrary loan services um, were already providing desktop delivery of articles and chapters from other libraries. So it was easy for us to scale to services uh, with our own library materials. On the other hand, libraries taking services that were more traditional in nature, um, libraries were very creative and flexible in thinking about new ways to deliver those services. So, for example, many of us created curbside or contactless delivery systems for books and physical items during the height of the shutdown. We ramped up at UNCW our self-checkout materials. Um, and another interesting idea that I know several libraries, um, including Randall tried, was the notion of virtual study halls, where libraries hosted Zoom rooms with librarians or student staff in which students could study together. So it sort of held students accountable. They would agree to come and study with one another for so many hours a week or night. And they were also able to ask questions of the staff if they needed it. So there were many um, great ways that the libraries quickly adapted to COVID. I think in terms of lessons learned, libraries have always been great sharers of information. I think that's in our DNA. So one of the ways that I think we 
adapted and learned from each other were to meet regularly with networks of, of librarians, whether it be, um, in our case, it was the UNC library directors who met first weekly and then bi-weekly just to share what each of us were doing. How, did, how were we addressing X or how were we handling Y? So I think doing that during the pandemic showed us how valuable that was under other conditions. So for us, even though most of us have developed ways to adapt to the pandemic, we, we're continuing that because it's a great way just to learn from each other. I like what you shared about some of the virtual services that you pivoted to. Um, what, what is your thought about services that would continue and not go back to previous um, delivery methods? Is there, is there a large percentage of those services that will continue to be provided or offered? That's a great question. And I think many of the services that we just expanded um, for example, um, at UNCW, and I know at many institutions, they were already offering chat reference, and we expanded to include virtual reference with video. So that's a, a program that's really easy to continue moving forward or providing more virtual consultation opportunities, even within a face-to-face -face environment. So many of those, yes, I think will continue. Some of the more disruptive, if you will, um, types of services, for example, the contactless, which what did put greater responsibilities on staff. I think some of those are scaling back down and, and reverting back to a more physical situation. So I think it'll be a mix of continuing what we learned in COVID, and in some cases, going back to more traditional services. How has the reaction been to some of these new virtual services? Has Have students really adopted uh, and really uh, taken advantage of, of these services? Absolutely. And I think, interestingly, for either students who are less confident uh, with technology or faculty who were less confident with technology and relied on the more traditional face-to-face -face services. Once they were required to do it in the COVID setting, they've become much more confident in their own skills and uh, confident in our ability to share information remotely. And so they are much more willing to continue to use those virtual services. Absolutely. Now that's great to hear. Uh, my, my next question is, is uh, related to some of the newer technologies. Um, what are some, some trends and new directions you see in libraries, library technologies and services? Well, some of the trends that I'm considering here and, and things that we're doing are not really new concepts, but ones that are perhaps gaining more momentum or coming into being in smaller, medium-sized libraries. I think the larger libraries may have been doing them 
for a number of years, but but we're all they're moving more into the mainstream, I guess I would say. So some of those ideas, um, I think all libraries are increasingly moving away from the library as being primarily a repository to one of being a learning center. And we all are continuing to renovate both in small and large ways to provide students and faculty and staff for that matter, a wider variety of types of learning spaces, whether it's more areas for group study, both with and without technology, quiet study spaces, and areas that are more social and active. I think another trend is to provide both the tools and the expertise for students to create new content, this podcast being a great example of that. Um, and, and I think where libraries are better positioned um, in that area is to provide that expertise. So it's not just making the equipment or the software available, but having staff who can assist students as they learn to use these new tools. Um, we are also seeing an increase by faculty as well as students in the use of virtual augmented mixed reality, particularly in the classroom, as well as for entertainment. And so we're, I think more and more libraries are providing opportunities for mixed reality. And then I think libraries are growing their involvement with faculty in working with large data sets, helping faculty visualize data, um, working with faculty to build digital scholarship projects, open educational resources, and materials such as that. How, how has uh, these newer technologies impacted the way you hire library staff? I'm curious. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, and it's interesting. I was just in a meeting an hour or two ago and we were discussing this. Um, so it's a very pertinent topic. I think we're seeing more specialization in library positions. So um, skills and expertise with specific tools. Um, for example, our last two of our last round of hires was a research data librarian whose skill set is around working with large data sets, visualizing data. We also recently hired a scholarly communication librarian who is working um, with faculty on open publishing, open educational resources. We One of our next forthcoming hires is going to be a digital scholarship librarian. So I do think um, the jobs are becoming more specialized or having a particular set of skills um, rather than some of the more generalist positions in libraries, although we're also still hiring um, subject specialists, mm -hmm. collection specialists, reference, et cetera, but we're also hiring more of these specialized positions. 
in your relationship with IT, has that changed? Is there less of a reliance on IT support with these newer technologies or more of a partnership required? I think that's a great question and a lot depends on the campus culture and the campus organization, also the size and shape of the campus. I've been very fortunate uh, in all of my positions to have a great working relationship between um, the library and IT. I have a very close relationship with the chief information officer at UNCW. I did at uh, the University of Baltimore as well. I think that is critical for that relationship. And we are working collaboratively on a number of initiatives. I do also think if libraries have the resources, uh, they are hiring more and more IT-ish people, if that's, <laughs> if that's an appropriate word, um, within the library. So for example, at UNCW, internal to the library, we have two web application developers who specifically work on library applications. Again, we work closely with IT on security specifications and, and things like that, but it's nice to hire um, IT people with the specialization of libraries because library systems are somewhat different than many of the other enterprise systems that IT professionals are, are working on. So that's that's the you know the technology piece. Um, you, you touched upon some of the uh, you know new spaces. I'm curious about space uh, facilitation and capacity, and, and what are some of the new ways that space is being utilized? Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, and um, you know share share what where some of the, the the things that you're doing on your campus around that. Sure. Well, as you, you mentioned, I did talk about that in some of my last comments, but in addition to the variety of student study spaces, I think we're also creating spaces for students to use in particular with particular technologies and uh, tools, such as we have spaces for students to use 3D modeling and printing. Um, as we mentioned before, spaces and staff to help students explore um, AR, VR experiences. We've recently built a new podcasting studio um, for students and for that matter, faculty and staff to use as well as providing um, workstations for um, video and audio editing. And we are hoping to um, build an addition and renovation. Um, we're hoping we receive the funding for it. And in that space, we're going to have a lot of technology rich um, content creation area so that students can build products in a variety of media that I think is really important to uh, universities because more and more faculty are requiring students to engage with different media and present um, 
their content in a variety of ways. So they're not just expected to write a paper or create a, a PowerPoint, but they're being asked to design a lot of multimedia products. And mm -hmm. so we have to provide the tools and the assistance to do that. Um, I also think libraries are really taking a hard look at their spaces and striving to become more welcoming and inclusive for all students. And so some of the new kinds of spaces that I'm seeing around the country and we're, we're looking to build um, at UNCW are family-friendly spaces. We just uh, created a new family friendly space with a lactation pod in our library. Also spaces that include assistive technologies. And there's also um, certainly on campuses and within libraries a focus on well, wellness and mindfulness. So we're creating a new um, wellness space where people can sort of um, unplug and um, take a step back from their studies and perhaps meditate or just relax. And it provides a space for that. So there are a lot of really different kinds of spaces being created in libraries today. Yeah, in, uh, in my experience, uh, libraries were always uh, places that you had to be very quiet uh, and no talking. And so I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's, it's, uh, it's a different day. It's a, it's, a, it's a space now where there's more collaboration, more creation, more innovation. It's, it's not, uh, it's not um, you know, stayed the same, but it's evolved. And I, I'm excited to hear that. And, and certainly I'm excited for students to have access to all of these new spaces and new technologies to do things. And I think uh, everybody has a podcast these days. And so I'm kind of uh, excited about hearing there's a podcast studio and um, certainly the 3D modeling and printing is, is um, a trend that we've, we've seen over the last few years. And so wellness is another area that uh, we certainly have, certainly in the last year and a half, uh, have, have really seen a, a greater emphasis on in helping people really cope with the challenges of the pandemic, the challenges of, of family life and, and work and balance. And so um, that, that's wonderful to hear. And um, I think, you know, the next, the next area that I'm curious about is really funding, how, how all these new, uh, new areas funded, uh, what, what funding models are, are supporting library innovations these days that you can talk to? That's a great question. Um, I think most libraries still rely heavily on institutional funds for the bulk of their operating expenses, but more and more libraries are turning to grant funding, particularly for these new spaces where it's sort of one-time funding or startup funds to launch a new program. Grants are also a great funding source for sort of short-term say digital scholarship projects that might only need funding for say one to three years. So, so I think libraries are looking at more creative revenue streams. Um, many of the larger libraries have their own development staff or work closely with university advancement or development for major gifts. Um, and that 
again, particularly for capital projects, you know, for renovations and new buildings, if they're not getting state funding in the case of a public um, institution, that's often driven by private gifts. I think uh, libraries are also sometimes recipients of university technology fees as we are becoming more and more a center of technology. So often we will, libraries will receive a portion um, of the fees going to technology. And in some cases, libraries have uh, worked out with campus leadership a separate library fee. I've never worked in a place with a separate fee like that, but we do receive um, technology fees um, or a portion of the technology fees. And then one thing that this is not really a funding source, but a way to stretch dollars. Again, libraries have historically been great resource sharers. So for years, libraries have been in consortia or buying clubs where we can leverage greater economies of scale and buying power. Um, and so I think libraries are, are developing more and deeper relationships with other libraries so that we can leverage size to get better deals on particularly electronic resources. In the North Carolina Consortium, we, UNCW buys most of its databases, many of our uh, journal subscriptions, ebook packages through consortial deals where we get a better, better deal. So I think more and more libraries are broadening that reach as well, which is not a new funding source, but it's, it's stretching existing dollars. Does, uh, does IT play a role in replacement, um, you know, replacement budgets as far as equipment that's purchased using grant funds? Does that roll into an operating budget for IT going forward? Or is that something that stays within the library operating budget? In my experience, again, I think it, it varies from campus to campus. In my experience, it's been within the library budget. Mm -hmm and it becomes a ongoing operating expense. We have a life cycle and at other libraries where I've worked, the library has its own life cycle. That said, we work in every institution where I've been, we, we in the library have worked very closely with IT on the campus image and certain uh, specifications in terms of IT so that we're buying hardware and software that generally IT supports. Um, so it's in our library budget, but we certainly work closely with IT on making those decisions. Great, and I imagine it, it varies from institution to institution. Um, certainly, um, uh, you know, your, your institution keeps it separate uh, to some extent. Um, is, uh, so, uh, you are, uh, your reporting line is within the academic side of the house and is, is IT separate or um, separate reporting yes. line? Um, I'm trying to think in, in all of the institutions I've worked, certainly 
here at UNCW and at UB, um, the library fell within academic affairs and uh, reported directly to the provost and chief academic officer. Um, IT was through business affairs mm -hmm. and the CIO. Well, at UB, the CIO reported directly to the president of the university. At UNCW, um, the CIO reports to the vice chancellor for business affairs. So they are in different uh, divisions. But again, I feel like that is one of the most critical relationships for libraries. And so I have always strived to have a very close relationship with the CIO because I, I think um, that is one of the most important relationships within the library. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. And you you are certainly in, in tune with really the important relationships on campus and, and the, the relationship between the library services and IT is, is one of those really important relationships that there needs to be synergy, needs to be good collaboration and partnership. And I'm really happy to hear that and probably really um, lends itself to some of the success that you're having there. So, you know, kudos to you and, and the CIO. Um, what uh, areas of growth uh, in, uh, in this space, space being library technologies and services, do you see? Well, um, again, I think I said this earlier, this is from my perspective of a mid-sized campus. So this, again, I think varies depending on the size and shape and history of the campus. But um, UNCW has recently transitioned to becoming a university with high research activity or an R2 institution. And so that has been a major driver on campus. So at Randall, we've been focusing then more on what services we need to um, provide to support faculty and graduate scholarships. Still very much engaged with undergraduates, but and not losing that focus, but uh, turning our attention more to faculty scholarship particularly in terms of providing open publishing platforms, um, working and consulting with faculty around research data management. Um, another example where we're partnering with Campus IT is providing sort of a, a guide for faculty in making decisions um, around both research data and high performance computing. So for example, um, we're working closely with IT on developing a, a faculty research portal. So there, it's part library and part IT, but from the perspective of the faculty, it's sort of one-stop shopping. So they can get advice and we sort of have checklists or decision trees for faculty to go through when they're applying for grants or thinking about their research needs, sort of what questions to ask, what things they need to think about, um, both on the, the library side and the IT side in terms of research computing and data storage. So I think libraries can really leverage their knowledge and skills around metadata and research framework to partner with faculty in these ways and, and to work closely with, with IT. Um, is there uh, 
Is there a, a drive, a, a goal to become an R1 in the future for UNCW? And um, how, how will that impact you? Um, that's a great question. I think we're just trying to get a handle on transitioning to R2 at this point, which is, <laughs> which is a, you know, I, I won't say a big step, but certainly um, a step and, and catching up. And it's interesting because it, at UNCW, and I know we don't have time to go into all of the context of UNCW, but in many areas, we have such a strong marine sciences program that many areas, many departments are probably already operating at an R1 level. But when you look at the, the campus as a whole, I think moving to R2 was a pretty significant step. And so um, I would imagine if you ask our, our chancellor, he might say, yes, we wanna become an R1 um, as soon as possible, but I, but I think um, we've got to grow many more programs, grow more uh, doctoral students before we get to, to, that er to that stage. And I think it's not a matter of necessarily changing our approach if we were to go to an R1. I think it would just be a matter of scale. Um, and we would really ramp up many of these services and probably become even more specialized in going back to your question about staffing. As I look at our ones um, in the area, they are even more specialized and have, you know, a greater uh, breadth of types of specialized positions. So I think it would just grow the existing trends we're already moving towards. Um, but I, I don't think that's on the near horizon. For <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the trends and future services um, in, in supporting the institution. Um, any, any thoughts on drivers for innovation in the future? Where, where do you see uh, it, it heading? Well, I, I think certainly we look at IT trends, we look at student demographics and sort of the nature of our students. I've been in libraries for 20 plus years and the students whom I worked with in the late 90s are very different than the students um, who were born you know, with digital devices um, since birth, it seems like. So I think we will continue to involve, evolve based on sort of just trends in society as well as sort of IT developments. I think, I don't know that this is so much a driver of innovation, but, but one area where I think libraries will take a leadership role is really, and going back to some of the, the things I mentioned in your last question is how we can take a leadership role in the recognition and celebration of scholarship, particularly making that scholarship more accessible to more people. Um, so one example of something we're doing is, and many libraries are doing 
are building public portals where um, the public can search for faculty scholarship and expertise, whether it be the media looking for an expert on a particular topic for comment, or it may be researchers across the country looking for partners. So I think we can play a key role sort of in that dissemination of scholarship. Again, something that is a core library value is making information accessible to people no matter their skill set, socioeconomic level, education, but providing access to material. So taking that to this next level, how can we build open source platforms for journals, book uh, publishing, how can we make textbooks more affordable and build more open educational resources and consultation with faculty. So this whole sort of open access mission in academia is very closely aligned to library values. So I think libraries will continue to play greater leadership roles in sort of changing the scholarly production model, you know, around tenure and promotion and sort of the traditional you know, journal article as being the coin of the realm to, to make different types of scholarship and more accessible types of scholarship recognized and grow in importance. I think you covered that really well, and it's, it's well said, obviously. I think, Lucy, um, you know, it's, uh, you, you've seen a tremendous amount of change in your, in your career. Um, I think technology is certainly has been a disruptor in, in library services. There's so many different uh, ways to access information now than just opening up a book. Um, and there's so many different uh, ways to deliver content. Um, so I, I think it's an exciting time. And certainly if I was, you know, uh, 18, 19 year old going back to college, it would be pretty exciting uh, with, with all of the uh, opportunities. And I think um, certainly looking ahead, um, it's going to continue and uh, can't wait to see what happens uh, over the next five, 10 years. So pretty exciting times that we Absolutely. live in. Absolutely. And um, I, I can't wait to see where we <laughs> go as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, we, we covered all the topics we wanted to cover today. And um, I, I think there was some really good uh, insight that our listeners can take away from. Uh, this episode, and I, I really want to thank you for joining me today. Well, Joe, thank you. It's been a delight. It was a great conversation, so thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lucy, and uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back next month for another great topic and great guest. Until then, stay well. Bye.